Welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast. My name is Jonathan M. Brigero. We apologize for last week and not getting a lot of shows up, especially in our inaugural week. But we were inundated with snow and ice, which is extremely uncommon for this part of the country. Anyway, moving on to the news of the day. E. Jean Carroll Part 2 has begun in a New York City courtroom. Donald Trump says he's going to testify. Again, he says he's going to testify. If I were a betting man, I would say there's not a chance in the world he'll testify in this case. Imagine walking into a case, a civil case, where you already have a default judgment against you from a prior case where a judge said you slandered, defamed, and sexually assaulted this woman you're about to face in court again. With the recent lawsuit filed and settled against Rudy Giuliani, jury came back with a $148 million finding in favor of the plaintiff Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. One could only imagine what this jury might do with E. Jean Carroll and Donald Trump. That has to be keeping him up at night. Maybe that explains the uh, oozing postules that appear to be forming on his skin, especially on his hands. Meanwhile, on the other side, Biden manages Ukraine and Israel. Israel's indiscriminate bombing is now out of control. It's been the policy here at the Magnolia Media Network and here at the podcast to uh, be full-throated supporters of the state of Israel. But what's going on there now? Well, it's hard to fathom. More on Israel, Palestine, and the expanding war a little later in the program. Next, we have our word of the day. Our word of the day, considering everything that's going on around the world, has to be peace. That's the only logical answer to any of this. At some point, the war in Ukraine has to be over. At some point, the war in Israel has to be over. Now, in both cases, they must first be won, especially the war in Ukraine, to make sure we push back and break the back of perhaps the world's most evil dictator. Meanwhile, here in the United States, we await the ruling of the circuit court, waiting to find out whether or not Donald Trump, as president, could have had his primary political rival killed by SEAL Team 6. No, that's not a joke. You can cite it anywhere. Simply Google it. The man is talking about absolute immunity. And in a hypothetical given to his lawyer by the circuit court, that lawyer was forced to admit, yes, a president has to be completely above the law in order to do his or her job. You heard that right. So if that's correct, then Joe Biden could use SEAL Team 6 to kill Donald Trump, his primary political rival. At least it would appear that way. He did win Iowa by a stretch, and we know when he get to Super Tuesday going through the heart of the country, he'll probably run through it. However, it's become a more interesting race in the last couple of days. As reported by every major news outlet out there, Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the race. He is no longer in this race. And if we take a look inside the numbers, 
and Iowa, we'll find that Trump got 56,260 votes. Meanwhile, the other three candidates combined got 54,030 votes, a difference of 2,222. Not exactly a runaway when you consider now there is but one candidate, and that candidate is busy making campaign ads for the Biden-Harris administration. Now, is Trump melting as other people? We've heard it reported other places, like the Midas Touch Network, that you can see these blisters on Donald Trump's hands. I mean, they talk about Biden's age, but what about a guy who's actually melting? But don't worry, Fox News has the answer. It's red ink from signing women's chests with a Sharpie pen. Yeah, you heard that right. Now that does sound like the most Trumpian thing ever, but maybe at one of his Miss Universe pageants, not uh, at one of his rallies. And poor Ron DeSantis. His humiliating campaign is finally over. The torture has come to an end. He can go back now to stripping people of their rights in the state of Florida. DeSantis was sort of doomed from the beginning. I mean, it actually looks painful for the man to smile. If you go look at a picture of him smiling, it looks as though he's doing it through gritted teeth. Then there was the cowboy incident. Then there was the fact he wouldn't even mention the man he was actually running against. Because, I don't know, maybe he's bidding for Secretary of State or something. And if that doesn't scare you almost as much as a Trump presidency, I don't know what will. Terrifying proposition. The GOP has absolutely fallen apart. And proof that you have Donald Trump leading a rather rational Republican in Nikki Haley in almost every poll and will likely win New Hampshire by double digits just proves that the GOP really has gone off the cliff. Now, I want to be clear. This is a left-leaning podcast and media organization. However, we welcome Republicans into the fold. We welcome a regular, rational, conservative point of view. What we don't welcome is this MAGA extremism. I do believe Nikki Haley sort of represents that old guard conservatism. So, now... After New Hampshire, we're off to Nevada and South Carolina. South Carolina, Nikki Haley's former home state, the state where she was once governor. We'll see if this whole E. Jean Carroll federal uh, uh, court case against him in D.C., the cases against him in Florida, the case against him in Fulton County, finally start to erode some of that support, at least enough for people to wake up and say, if you want any chance of winning this election, you had better nominate Nikki Haley and not Donald Trump. But I don't see that happening. It seems like after so many years of being abused by people like Rupert Murdoch, I'm not sure that these voters can pull themselves away from the debauchery that is Donald Trump. Maggots have simply rallied around Trump. The more indictments, the more support. The more indictments, the more money. It's a grift. If you haven't noticed, the AG's civil fraud case against him has a monitor watching his bank accounts, so the only thing he can do at this point is grift. I would imagine where Elena Hava, who says she can fake being smart, However, the 
E. Jean Carroll case so far has proven otherwise. But you can't fake being pretty because she's pretty, at least by her own analysis. A.G. Letitia James is now awaiting a final verdict from Judge Ingeron, who will decide exactly how much Donald Trump has to disgorge. At the current moment, it's $370 million. Now, Trump claims to be infinitely wealthy, but we all know that's not true. And you would have to be an incredibly wealthy person to have $370 million just laying around. But who knows, maybe the MAGA faithful will raise it for him. You know, a little fund to help the insurrectionist? Why not? Now, moving to a much more serious subject. Figures from the New York Times say that 65% of Palestinians in Gaza have lost family or friends. 85% of the 2.2 million people have been relocated. Also from PBS, the New York Times, and just about everyone else, the Houthis in Yemen are attacking commercial vessels. They're attacking commercial vessels, forcing them to sail all the way around the southern tip of Africa, the Cape of Good Hope. This by itself could drive up the price of goods, causing inflation to head back in the other direction. We also have Hezbollah in the north, which we've talked about before, and now terrorist groups forming or that have formed or what have you in Syria and Iraq. So the Hamas-Israeli conflict and Israel may be overreacting just a little bit with a reported 24,000 dead. That's a very young population. We know Hamas doesn't have 24,000 fighters and 2.2 million people and that there's no reason to be bombing a hospital completely out of existence, denying people water, denying people food, electricity. I mean, all are being denied to the people of Gaza. And now it has the people in Palestine on the West Bank supporting Hamas more than they support the Palestinian Authority. This can't go on. And it's pulling Iran further and further into the fold. Of course, Hezbollah is Iranian-backed. Hamas is Iranian-backed. The Houthis in Yemen, who are firing missiles even at U.S. ships, are Iranian-backed. If Iran is actually pulled into this thing, we have a serious problem. If Iran and the United States have to lock horns for any reason, that means Russia will be involved, as the Iranians and Russians have gotten awfully close as of late. So, by funding and actually supporting Zelensky's government in Ukraine, we could do a lot to solve the problems in the Middle East. You kind of see how everything comes full circle there? Let's call our Congress people and make sure that we get the funding necessary for Ukraine to be victorious over Russia. You got to disengage the authoritarians. You got to break their back while you have the opportunity. Meanwhile, South Africa brings uh, charges against Israel in the International Criminal Court. This reported just about everywhere. South Africa says they see a parallel between apartheid and the treatment of residents in Gaza. That's a bold statement, especially considering the brutality with which the South Africans were treated 
for so, so many years before, of course, Nelson Mandela showed up and sort of straightened things out a little bit. Of course, they're having their issues at the moment. And while the right wing, and especially Donald Trump, continues to praise Viktor Orban, somebody tell me why in the world this man has such an affinity for dictators. Is it because maybe he wants to be one? To do the same thing perhaps Benjamin Netanyahu's doing? Staying in power to avoid going to prison? Because without returning to power, there is almost no doubt this man's not going to prison. I do not believe that even this supreme religious court is going to rule that he is 100% above the law and can't be tried for crimes committed on January 6th. I mean, of course he can. Hopefully. But then again, we've seen this supreme religious court do a... Uh, do a number on the American judicial system. The charge, by the way, in the International Criminal Court is the charge of genocide. Genocide. The South Africans are saying that what's happening to Israeli to Palestinians in Gaza actually meets the burden of genocide. I don't know if it meets that burden. But it is noteworthy that a signatory to the ICC has brought this type of motion against Israel, and it is doubtful that it will do anything about Israel's behavior. Because in the last few days, we've heard from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I first read it in The Guardian when he said he does not believe in a two-state solution. Contrary to what the United States says, Oh, and another little tidbit. Benjamin Netanyahu had not been in touch with the President of the United States in one month. A month since he last spoke to a president who firmly believes in a two-state solution. If the war ended today, could we jump directly to a two-state solution? No, we couldn't. There'd have to be some period of figuring things out. But it's the only answer, other than an actual genocide. Because, like it or not, Palestinians exist, and Israelis exist, and both are allowed to exist, even if they have to share a space. One little problem there. Benjamin Netanyahu himself, who, if you remember, just before the attacks on October 7th, was trying to reform the judiciary so that the Knesset could essentially just overrule anything that the uh, high court in Israel found. And that would include finding Benjamin Netanyahu guilty on three counts of corruption, which might very well land him in prison. So I suppose he sees an endless war as a get-out-of-jail-free card because the man is polling in the 20s while his country's at war. That's right. After 9-11, even George W. Bush, for all his incompetence, managed to get 70% of the American population to support him. Now, I admit, U.S. politics was not as fractious in 2001 as it is today. But still, 70% approval for a president? That's a president who has just led a nation through a terrible attack like 9-11 and was game planning 
a response. And like the Palestinians, I'm rather the Israelis, they seem to have overcalculated, made a lot of mistakes along the way. But it is beginning to be my belief that this war has no real end and that Benjamin Netanyahu refuses any concept of a two-state solution because he knows as soon as this war is over, the morning after, talks of elections will begin. And he knows that he will not be reelected and that he has failed at reforming the courts, which means he'll have to take his medicine. That's a lot to digest in one day, especially when we throw in Ukraine, which is fighting as hard as they possibly can without any aid from their Western allies. Congress needs to act on both fronts to provide Israel with the necessary weapons to make sure they win their war, to provide aid to Palestinians who have been misplaced, told to move to the south, told to move to the north, essentially trapped between indiscriminate bombs. The Israelis, who are essentially non-responsive at this point, and the Ukrainians, who are simply running out of ammunition. All of it ties back to the same bad guy, the same culprit, Russia, and the Iranian drones that are flying over Ukraine, causing havoc. Oh, what a world we live in. There's strife just about everywhere, from the streets of Magnolia Avenue here in Knoxville, Tennessee, to the Middle East. It seems to be one endless cycle, but it's a cycle we can win. We have to stop Iran from getting involved in this conflict, even if that means backing off Hamas, even if that means backing off the people of Gaza just a little bit. We have to stop the Houthi rebels shooting at commercial vessels or eventually killing a U.S. sailor. Of course, that would lead to complete chaos and fallout. But it's a little food for thought. And in a postscript to the news, something a little more local, something a little closer to my heart. Recently, we've had some terrible, oppressive cold here in the southeastern United States, specifically in my hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. The Tennessean has reported as of yesterday, 27 Tennesseans have died from the cold. Now, some of those could have been accidents. Some of those could have been almost anything. But we all know that the majority of them were probably mentally ill, addicted to substances, and living on the street. That means the majority of those 27 people simply froze to death in the wealthiest country that has ever existed in the history of the world. A country with a $28 trillion a year GDP. Trillion with a T. But the state of Tennessee and other states like it can't do anything about this, about what I'm looking at here, this article from the Tennessean that's telling me 27 of my fellow Tennesseans froze to death. Now, that means the vast majority of over 6 million residents were just fine, right? Wrong. 
That means homeless shelters were full. They were, they'd been filled to the brim. That here in Knoxville, homeless encampments are being torn up. It's not like they have their choice of chalets or villas, right? I mean, for God's sake, there are our own citizens. There are brothers and sisters right here in the state of Tennessee. I'd hate to see the national numbers of what's happened uh, throughout the East, the Eastern United States, over the last week. Who knows how many hundreds of people died from the cold weather. And I know a few of those accidents would have happened anyway. I submit that. But the fact that people froze to death on the street, in plain sight, tells us something about our society. It also says something that about 35% or so of Americans will stick with an absolutely dictatorial madman rather than, you know, accept some kindness or turn off their xenophobia, their racism, their hate, their disdain for everybody who's not exactly like them. That's something that's hard for me to swallow. That in the last few days, while we have battled some severe cold, snow that like we usually don't get, ice on top of it, and car wrecks, my goodness, they've been everywhere. And those aren't counting the number of people who died in car wrecks. These are people who died from weather, just from the weather. But Tennessee can't be bothered with it. Not even our own congressman here in Knoxville, Tim, my daddy Burchett. Well, I sure wish that they could. I wish that it could be addressed. I wish something can be done. And again, I know not everyone can be saved, but the number could be lower than 27 with one little cold snap. And with that, last little postscript to the news, I'd like to thank Logan Ramsey for producing and engineering today's episode. I'm your host, Jonathan M. Brigero. This is the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. Until next time, be well.